0: is going to be there. Uh, or, you know, going to be here, I guess. Um, Gary Smalley being one of them. Um, Cunningham. Uh, Ted, I think it's Ted Cunningham. Um, I've been listening to some of them online and these have some great things to share. These are always full of fun and full of new insight in your marriage. And I, I tell you, it's just, it's a great thing to do if you're in a relationship um, and com- if you're thinking about getting married Come out as a single person. It's $25 for couples, $15 for single. We're going to provide lunch, snacks throughout the day. And uh, here's a sign-up. It's open to the whole community. Um, if you know anyone if you think would benefit from that, um, you know, let them know. And if, and if somebody can't come because of finances, let us know. We can try to scholarship you. We'll, we'll, we, we don't want anyone to miss for any reason if it's something you desire to do. That's this Saturday, um, the 17th. It's from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Are we sure it's not 8 30? Yeah, changed the title. Tube 9? Okay, so it was okay, so um, it was so it's 9 to 3. So um, if you're coming, you can just fill this out, and then and you don't even have to, you can just show up, but we're gonna pass that around as we go on. If you wanna put your name on it, it'd be great. If like I said, if you want to come but can't afford it, come. We'll figure it out. Is that okay to say? It is because Pastor Jeff is gone and I can do what I want. <laughs> We're going to scratch that part out. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Man, while the cat is away, the mice shall play. And um, we're going on to that. Oh, I love when I get my notes out of order. That's just great. Hallelujah. There we are. Okay, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. and. Uh, I can barely see the clock, so I'm just going to preach until I'm done.
1: It usually takes
0: two or three hours. And, um, you know, hey, if you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. It's so good to have you this morning. We do things a little differently than some churches. Um, and uh, we just desire to, to always allow God to have preeminence. <laughs> we, we don 't want to do anything that shuts him down if he wants to move, if he wants to speak, we want to be open to that and that 's a little scary at times being in a place where where God is allowed to do things because the moment we allow that we 're out of control and yeah i tell you what you know i don 't like to be out of control i 'm a man first of all, and men, we, we like to be in charge, but I find that it 's so much better as we 'll just allow God to do whatever it is that he wants to do Um. This morning, I've been excited about coming. This is my, my first time preaching since I've come back. And it's, it's been a, it's been, I've been excited about coming and just seeing what God would do. And I had a desire to bring a word this morning and uh, for the last three, three weeks. And about a week and a half ago, God began to change and says, that's not the message you're to bring. And so this morning, I really feel like we're supposed to talk about a, a different subject. And I almost want to pray as we begin. Father, we thank You for that which You've already started doing this morning. Mm -hmm. Father, as we go into this time in the Word, I pray that Rob Hastings would slip away quietly unnoticed and You would come and take the place and speak this morning to us. God, I pray that we would hear from You. God, I pray that we would be open to things that You want to say this morning. Father, bless... The words bless the ears, open our hearts to receive God. Is that what you want to say? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. So as I was I was praying and, and just seeking God and getting ready for the message I wanted to bring. Um I really felt God changed direction and, and this morning. God wants us to speak about revival. And so. That's, that's why I feel like God is, is, is God, is He wants to speak this morning about revival. And, uh, and so what is, what is revival? You know, we, What is revival? We need to understand what I'm talking about, first of all, because there's a lot of different things we talk about revival. There is, there's uh, revival meetings. When I say revival, some people might automatically picture a big tent getting set up and an evangelist coming in and speaking and having exciting worship and music and powerful preaching, and much like we had a few, a few months ago. Uh, who went out to the revival meetings? Were they good? Yeah. Revival meetings are great. But I'm not talking this morning about a revival meeting. So that's something different. We want to make sure we understand that. Um, I've got this huge dictionary in my room. It's the Reader's Digest Encyclopedic Dictionary. And it's like this fat. I should have brought it to show you. It's just huge. And it, it had a few definitions of what, what revival is. <coughs> One, it's recovery as from Depression. Two, it's a restoration or renewal of interest after neglect, oblivion, or obscurity. A restoration or renewal of interest after neglect, oblivion, or obscurity. And then the third definition they give was a series of highly emotional religious meetings to awaken faith. I also looked up in Webster's uh, online, and they just have one of those short ones I really liked. It says, The coming again into activity or prominence. The coming again into activity or prominence. That's what revival is. I really like the, the two. Um, it's a restoration or renewal of interest after neglect, oblivion, or obscurity. I believe God is pour, speaking out this morning for revival. Amen. He's calling us out for revival. And I believe that a lot of people have been feeling that and hearing that same message. But, but this morning we want to talk because we don't want to go into the wrong direction. We don't want to go and do the wrong thing. God is speaking about a personal revival. Because sometimes our faith gets neglected. Sometimes our faith goes into oblivion or obscurity, that Christian walk that we had, and it's just allowed to die. And it needs to be revived. It needs to come alive again. It needs to be awakened. It needs to be renewed. It needs to come back into activity or prominence. You know, if, if you, when you accepted the Lord, those of you in, sitting in this room who've received Christ and had a change in your life, you know, when that happened, something changed in your life and you became excited and, and something changed. You became alive. You can't even explain it, but there was a change in your life when you received Christ. Something was different. In fact, if when you receive Christ, if nothing did change, we need to go back and pray some more and see, seek God. Because, because something needed to change inside of you where you had a different thought, a different focus. And so, but sometimes that excitement, sometimes that feeling, and it's, we're not talking about feeling, but sometimes that place where we know God and we trust Him and we're, we're living in this place of confidence and peace and purity wanes. And it begins to go away. And we need, to have, we need to be revived. We need to be revived this morning. And, and there's two different types that I want to differentiate between two different types of revivals. One is, is a time where you might come into a church where there's meetings going on. And, and there's excitement. Even this morning, there was excitement and there's passion beginning to go on. And we get excited about those things. And and we begin to maybe get excited about the future of the church. And we get begin to get excited about things. and And... Sometimes when those things happen week after week, growth will even begin to happen. The church will begin to grow. But those, I believe, are highly religious revivals. It's a religious revival. You get excited again about the idea of Christianity. We get excited about maybe the way it used to be. And, and it's, it, it comes very, very much in emotion. You know, if the, if the music's right... And, and we begin to dance and it, it, we get excited. We might really go, wow, this is great and I miss this and, and I want to experience this again. It becomes very much a religious revival. But I, I want to talk about a spiritual revival this morning where our spirit man becomes revived, where our spirit man becomes alive again after a period where maybe it has been waned. It's, it's gone into obscurity as, as the definition said. I believe that a spiritual revival is going to be marked by repentance. It's going to be marked by repentance, prayer, and salvations. As we begin to get personally revived, repentance is going to be there, prayer and salvation. And and revival, spiritual revival, has to be about spiritual revival. Cannot be about doing. See, we can do the meetings. We can have a time of celebration and we can do that. But a spiritual revival is more about being. About being in God's presence. About spending time with Almighty God and beginning to be renewed and revived. It would be dangerous to do, and and sadly I've heard it and probably have spoken it myself, to do a, a, a start a message like this or start a revival time with a five-point message titled The Five Things to Do to Have Revival. And, and you, we can do that. We've probably all, if you've been in church very long, you've experienced that where something's changing and that it's kind of a doing revival. And that's what we want to stay away from this morning. We want to stay away from doing anything to have revival. Instead, I don't want to have a revival. I want to experience revival. You know the difference? I want to experience it personally that where God is just where my relationship my intimacy with God is stirred back up and I'm in close fellowship and communion with him. That's where I want to be and that's what God is calling us. And that's where God is calling us this morning. Hallelujah. You know I was I was thinking, you know, what is you know we, we've often looked at revivals being different things. Is revival when we see miracles? We thought, oh, a miracle happened. Maybe we're in revival. Is revival when we're happy? You know, we all come together and everyone's real happy and excited. And Man, we're in the the middle of revival. We're excited, so it must mean that we're in revival. But I believe the other is is true and that's where we need to focus. It's not that when we see miracles that we're in revival. But when we're in revival, we're going to see miracles. It's not that when we're excited and celebrating, we're in revival. But we're, when we're in revival, we're going to be more excited and we're going to celebrate. We've we got to put the, the right thing in front. right? We've got to put the cart behind the horse, get the horses out in front. The horse, we need to be in revival and the other things are going to come. Otherwise, we're all going to be doing a doing thing. We're going to manufacture something. And it's going to be short-lived. It's going to be short-lived. In in the in the um, Hebrew, they they actually when you're reading the Bible, it's important to know that that it's written in different languages, and sometimes we will translate two different Hebrew words into one English word, and and it, they mean different things. So it's it's you know if you're ever wondering which one it is, you know, get a, a, a Greek. A interlinear Bible; it has the Greek and Hebrew out li- listed for you, or call someone. But there's two words that they both translate "revival" in the Bible, and one means like to turn back; it means to go back, to retreat, going back into a place that you once were. And the other one is is I, I like the word; it's kaya. You know, I used to I used to be into karate. You know, so you kind of get the <laughs> kaya right. And and that one was, was to mean literally or feature to, to revive. To revive. And so I think it's really a twofold thing. We go back to a place that we once were in God. We return back to the presence of God. And as we do that, we become revived. We become alive again. Because it's all about being in Him. And so as we're going into this this morning, we need to to go and understand what the purpose of revival is. What's the purpose? If If we want to experience revival, if we want to see revival, what's the purpose? And we've got to make sure we get that right. Because if we're doing it for the wrong purpose, it's, it's, it's going to be uh, not as glory glorious as what God desires. The purpose of revival, I believe, simply is this, to glorify God on earth. That's the whole purpose of revival. To glorify God on earth. That's what Jesus wants to do. His whole purpose on earth was to glorify God. It was his main objective. It was his purpose. Let's go to John chapter 8, verse 50. Hallelujah. John chapter 8, verse 50. This is Jesus speaking. It says, I do not seek My own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. God is actually seeking glory. God is seeking glory. There are 295 mentions in the Bible of glory. 295 about God's glory. He wants glory. It, it, it's just we're inundated with this fact that God really wants glory. Now, the, now, we don't have time to go into that because you can say, man, is He just a glory hound? Is He a sycophant? What is this? God, is all about Him. He wants His glory to be revealed in earth. He wants His glory to be revealed in our lives. And it's so important. And that's the purpose of revival. Let's go to a few scriptures and, and talk about that. Um, let's first go to Psalm 19.1. We sang that this morning. I really appreciated the worship this morning. Psalm 19:1 says the heavens declare the heavens declare the glory of God. God created this earth, set it up all so that it would declare his glory. It's kind of weird. You know, he built everything, set it up just right so you'd look at it and go, "Wow." You know, there's one thing in this life that is awesome, and that's God. And that's the only thing that's awesome. We, re- we use that word so much in our vocabulary. You know, awesome is, is when you look at nature and you go, oh, and immediately you go, God is so incredible. We lived in Central Valley, so we, we were able to just drive up to Yosemite. And, uh, and, and we went up there a number of times and just to stand down in the valley and look up at, at Half Dome or just to look, just driver, it's just glorious. And, and everywhere you go, you're just struck with, ah, oh, God is awesome. He did all of that to declare His glory in the earth. In fact, so much... That that we are without excuse because all creation, we as people are without excuse for receiving Christ and not knowing about God, because all creation cries out to the glory of God. That's His purpose. John eleven four. Flip over a little ways. New Testament. God's purpose is to have the earth reflect his glory that was Jesus purpose. Jesus did miracles so that God would be glorified. I mean Luke no wonder it didn't look right. Hallelujah. And Jesus heard this this was the death of Lazarus when Lazarus had died. He was accused, you know, boy you were late. And he says, "This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it." Jesus did miracles for the sole purpose, at times, to glorify God and to bring glory. In John fourteen three, Jesus says, "I will do, I will do whatever you ask in my name, that the Son may bring glory to the Father." When we go and pray to God and we ask for things, Jesus will do it to bring glory to the Father. That's His purpose. Sadly, we don't always do that. We pray, we get what we prayed, and then we go off and we forget about glorifying God. We forget to even tell people. We forget to give them thanks. But the purpose of answering our prayers is to bring glory to God. That's what, God, that's what Jesus wants to do. That's what God wants to do. The, the miracle in Cana Galilee, turning water into wine, it says in John 2.11... John 2.11 This, the first of His miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana and He revealed His glories and His disciples put their faith in Him. He revealed His glory by doing miracles. God wants us to see His glory. As we walk as Christians, in in John 15.8, I'm not going to read it, but it says that it brings God glory when we bear fruit. Bearing fruit brings God glory. Do you see that? His purpose on earth is to be glorified. He wants to be glorified, and if we're going to have revival, it needs to be for the purpose to bring God glory. And so, right away, we're 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 confronted with ourselves, because often we want revival to feel better. We want revival because we're just kind of down, and you know, I I miss I miss feeling better. I miss the experience. But as we get the right focus, see, God is great. When when things are in focus, He takes care of everything else. When we have the focus, say, God, I just want you to be glorified. And He begins to revive our spirits, we begin to feel better. And we begin to experience the things that we used to. Put it in the right focus, put it in the right order, and it's going to be wonderful. Jesus. Hallelujah. And so as we're looking into revival and, and God is going to stir this place, I know that this is what's happening. God is bringing revival to this place. I'm excited. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes I'm a man, so sometimes I go, I'm excited. And it doesn't look like excitement. But it is. Hallelujah. A few prerequisites for revival. You know, it's, it's not meetings. It's not flashy suits. It's not the right kind of music. One, you have to have been been alive in order to experience revival. If you've never been alive, then you're not going to have revival. If you've never been alive, it's time to become alive. So we can understand what we're talking about. If you're sitting here going, I don't even understand this revival thing, well, today, then later on, we want to pray for you that you'll experience life. Because you have to have been alive to experience revival. You you have to have faith. But listen, you have to have the right faith. You have to have faith, not that the revival is going to happen. But you have to have faith that God is who He says He is. You have to have faith that God is who He says He is. Again, when you begin to focus on God understanding who He is, that relationship's going to begin to happen. We're going to get revived. Not just faith that, yes, I believe revival's going to happen. There's a lot of people in the world believing for a lot of things that are never going to happen. But when you begin to believe truly that God is who He says He is, God has a platform to move and to do the things that He wants to do already. And this is is great. We sometimes pray, God, send revival! It's like He's up there withholding something from us. No! god 's not holding revival; he wants us to live and be alive in him this morning he 's just waiting for everything to get right I, I believe that prayer for revival is not necessary a prerequisite for revival as I, I was really studying revivals um, and you know i, I don 't like to look over here because we have Pastor Floyd, and he just intimidates me. <laughs> you know, I, I was thinking of him, You know, I, I know that he has studied the revivals, and as I was reading and studying the revivals, I found that prayer, did, prayer for revival did not always precede revival. People were not always looking for revival when God brought it. It's not about, "Go, God, send us revival always." But there is something that the next point in my message, there is something that has always got to be there when revival happens. We're to get at, it, but it's not always send revival. Now no, don't get me wrong, prayer will always happen when revival's happening. How can it not, when you're revived and God is moving and you feel, you feel ignited and alive in the Holy Ghost in the relationship with God, you're going to start praying. You're going to pray more than you have in a long time, but you don't have to start praying for revival for revival to happen. But this is what I believe we have to deal with in order to revival to happen. We have to get rid of a few things. Hindrances to revival. And these are just mine. Somebody could add a lot more to these, I believe. But I think these are some major ones. Apathy. Apathy is a huge hindrance to revival. You're in the point in your life and you just don't care anymore. And, 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 and maybe you've been there, maybe you're there today. Maybe three months ago you wanted revival, and today you just don't even care anymore. You go, oh, I don't care if you, it's not going to get any better. You're apathetic. God's not going to move in revival as we're apathetic. Now, the hard thing is, well, how do you deal with that? Who's ever been, felt that way about anything? Just apathetic. Isn't it the, like the worst pit to be in? You are like the person I don't want to invite to my party. When you're that way, you're no fun. You know, you're like Eeyore. Thanks for noticing. We just don't really care. But here, I believe there's the first step to get out of apathy. Is the biggest step. We have to do this, and it's something that God brought me through many years ago when I had a sin. That I didn't want to get rid of. Don't know if you've ever been there. You had this thing, and it was like your pet. You knew it was wrong, but you liked it too much to get rid of it. You kind of drug it everywhere you went, and when people would say, "Hey, what are you doing that?" you go, "I just want to keep it." And I was confronted with this sin, but I didn't want to give it up. And so I went into prayer, and this is what I said: "God, I don't want to repent." You know, God already knew that. So I thought being honest with Him was probably going to be a really good idea. God, I don't want to repent, but I want to, want to. Yes, Amen. I want to, want to. Sometimes church—that's all we have. We know life would be better if we would just repent of our sin. We know life would be better if we could get out of the apathy, and so the first step is to simply say, God. I want to not be apathetic. Make that statement of faith. Make that step and let God begin to bring you out of apathy. Let God begin to bring you out of that that sin. That's a great step. We need to get rid of apathy. The second one, the hindrance to revival, is bitterness. Bitterness anger unforgiveness church we can't experience the revival of christ if we have bitterness towards one another if we're angry about things if we're unforgiving towards people or or even maybe to the church or to a pastor proverbs 18:19 let's go there hallelujah It says in 1819, Proverbs 1819, it says, A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contention are like the bars of a castle. When you have contentions, you can't break through to revival. They're going to hold you out. You've got to get rid of the contentions. You've got to get rid of the bitterness in the anger. It, revival, it, it hinders the revival that God wants to birth in the believer's life. And, and I believe it's, it's for many reasons. One, the Holy Spirit is grieved. The Holy Spirit is grieved when the brothers aren't living in harmony. When they're angry and backbiting and bitter towards one another. The Holy Spirit's grieved and He can't move. He won't move in that presence. Our, our fellowship is broken. And as we're unforgiving we give the devil a foothold into our life. Let's go to Ephesians 4.26 and 27. We need to break down the bars of the castles. We need to break through and push through. We don't want to give the enemy a foothold into our life because in Ephesians 4.26, it says, In your anger do not sin. You know what I love about this Scripture? This Scripture gives me permission to be angry. It's okay to be angry sometimes. You know, anger is going to, Jesus had anger. We can be angry at sin. We can be angry at sin. It's okay. But it says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You've been there. I've been there. Especially if you're married, you've been there. (laughs) Anger creeps up. You get angry that they squeeze the toothpaste from the middle again. And you spend so much time wrapping it up from the back. I have stapled the bottom of the toothpaste so that they couldn't unroll it. And you get angry at that. Only married people can get angry at such a trivial thing. But it's real! And the devil begins to come in and speak other things too. They do that because they don't care about you. She knows that you want her to squeeze it from the bottom. She doesn't care! We've opened the door and the devil comes in. And it begins to take more and more place in our lives. Don't give the devil a foothold. Somebody does something. To, you know, you know how, many time, how many times have you been offended at church because you thought somebody did something wrong and for the day, the week, all week, you're like, they didn't look at me, they didn't talk to me, they just... Mm. You come to find out they didn't see you, they were running to the nursery because their baby had an exploded diaper and they didn't even know you existed in that moment. But you're angry with them. You know, we need to stop being angry. We need to step back, stop being bitter. Not giving the devil a foothold. Easier said than done. But begin to practice it. Love. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Amen? Hallelujah. That's a whole message. Listen, we can't receive God's mercy and His forgiveness if we harbor unforgiveness. We can't receive His forgiveness if we won't forgive. As you forgive others, so I'll forgive you. You've got to get rid of it. If you're sitting here today, and you're going, I want revival in my life, and already you're going, yeah, I'm angry at this person, I'm bitter, you need to begin to deal with those things to experience revival. All of these could have been put into this one thing. The greatest hindrance to revival is sin. The greatest re- hindrance to revival is sin. Unforgiveness is a sin. But I wanted to touch on those specifically. But sin, unconfessed, unrepented sin. Because unconfessed and unrepented of sin is unforgiven sin. We need to experience God's forgiveness. We need to go to Him and confess and repent of our sin in order to experience revival. I see a great example of what happens in the book of Luke, chapter 15. I believe that Luke 15 is a a map for us to understand revival. We find the story of the prodigal son, and we've, we've heard it, we know it. The lost son... Says that a man had two sons, and the younger of them said, "I want to take all my stuff and get out of here because I know better and I want I want it now." He gets all his inheritance ahead of time. You know, some of you wanted probably to do that. Going, "Hey, mom and dad, can you give it to me now?" And he gets his inheritance, and he goes and squanders it, and he lives lives like the devil, and he finds himself poor and destitute, feeding pigs, wanting to eat the food with them comes to the point of going, the servants in my father's house have it better than I've got it. And so he goes back in verse 18. I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he arose and he came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice he didn't come back and say, Dad, I'm home. Do you miss me? That's what we do. Why? We don't want to deal with the stuff we've just done. We'll turn the tables and you say, "I I've been gone, and you know, aren't you glad to see me?" We we want to get our relationship restored right now. We don't want to deal with the things that we've done. We just want to pretend it didn't happen. He says, "I've sinned, sin against heaven. I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son." Church, we need to understand today that we're not worthy to be Christians. We're not worthy to be called sons and daughters of the King. It's not because we've done something great. It's not because we're so good looking. It's not because we've been living as Christians a long time and now we finally deserve this place that we've had to earn it. We don't deserve it. And we have to remember that throughout our life. And as you're walking with the Lord longer, sometimes it's harder to remember that. Because I don't sin as much as I used to. I don't get drunk like I used to. I don't carouse like I used to. My life looks better on the outside than it used to. I am not worthy to be called the Son of God. And the son recognized that and he goes, Father, I'm not worthy. Can you make me one of your servants? I'm not worthy to be a son, but can I serve you? Can I just do something in the house? And so the father says, bring out the best robe and put it on. Put a ring on his finger. The ring was always a sign that he was part of the family, that he had the authority. Rings were were used in authority and to keep family lines together. If the king gave you his ring, that means you had power and authority. He says, put the ring on his finger, bring out the best robe, bring out the fatted calf, and it says, kill it and let us be merry. For this my son was dead. And now he's alive. He was dead and he's alive. That's what happens as we go to God saying, God, I'm not worthy. I've sinned against you. Now remember, the prodigal son was the son of the father before he left. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about somebody coming back to the Father. Have gone away from the Father and He comes back. And He gets restored into right, right relationship. And the, and the Father says, He was dead, but now He's alive. This morning you might be going, I've been dead. I've been dead, but I want to be alive. And this is the path. Go to repentance to God. And let Him declare, He was dead, but now He's alive. And then look at this next part. This is when revival breaks out. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. Revival happened first, the celebration happens second. When you become alive, the celebration happens second. Too often we go into church hoping to celebrate us into life. It becomes emotional, becomes a religious event. But when you go the other way, humbly, repenting, God makes you alive again. And celebration breaks out in the place. Hallelujah. We will not experience revival if we're away from God in sin. And I know from experience that you can sit in the front row and be in sin. You can sit in church, never miss a Sunday, never miss your cell growth, and be just smack dab in the middle of sin. And you cannot experience revival there. You might even be celebrating and dancing, but on the inside, you're like the whitewashed tomb. There's dead men's bones inside, and you know it. Because I knew it. You know it. Come back to God as as the prodigal son with repentance and humility. True revival contains repentance. Salvations will occur and prayer will occur. In repentance, it's important for us to know what repentance is. God help the pastors and leaders who have mispreached and mistaught what repentance is. Many of you sitting here today have learned that this is what repentance is. I'm walking this way, I repent, and I walk this way. That is not repentance. That's doing a 180 degree turn. But if you're a disciplined person this morning, if you're a disciplined person, you know that by sheer discipline, you might be doing something wrong and you say, I'm just not going to do it anymore. And you start doing this by discipline. There hasn't been a change in your heart. There hasn't been a change in your mind. You just stopped doing inactivity. You've just done works. Repentance in the in the Greek means metanoia. It means the changing of your thinking, the changing of your knowledge, the changing of your mind. You have to change what you think today about your situation and the things that you're doing and you need to begin to agree with God about how he sees you. That's what repentance is. When you read the word and it says that you shouldn't uh, be a drunkard. Well, you don't just stop getting drunk. You begin to agree and say, "You know what? God hates this. He thinks it's wrong. He thinks it's bad for me. He says it separates me." And you begin to change your thinking about it because I've met a lot of people who didn't smoke, who didn't drink, who didn't do any of these things. But if you got them, they thought it was okay. They just couldn't do them. You know, it's it's really okay to do that. I just I'm a churchgoer and I can't do it. They haven't repented. They just stop doing the bad things. Repentance is that change of mind. Whew. And when that begins to happen, God begins to move. God begins to move. In order to experience revival, there has to be change in our life. There has to be change in our life. Jer- the book of Jeremiah, is the prophet Jeremiah writing... To the people who were in bondage and in captivity in Babylon, not a fun place in fact, many of our fa- there 's a lot of us in here with a favorite verse of jeremiah twenty nine eleven Raise your hand if that's one of your favorite verses. We quote that all the time, right? And for those of you going, I don't know which one that is. We 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 do that. You'll know in a second. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Right? And we go, oh yeah, I really like that one. That is such a good scripture. That scripture, that was what God was speaking to His people in the middle of captivity. I'm sorry, when you're in the middle of captivity you hear that, you go, I don't see much hope. I don't see much future. But He spoke that to His people. Jeremiah, I want to go there because in this whole time of repentance, see, God is going to do something. We need to understand that repentance has got to be first. It's got to be first. Jeremiah 1. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just to encourage you, it's okay to say amen or way to go, smile, nod, this can be an interactive service, you got, you know. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know. Woo! Jeremiah 1.10. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. That's a good word. To root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. There's a sixfold commission in this scripture. Sixfold commission. Four are destructive root out, pull down, destroy, throw down. Four destructive things that happen before the two good ones. The two constructive ones to build and to plant. We have to destroy some things in our lives in order for us to build and to plant a place of revival. If you were going to go and and, and just walk out into any one of these woods right here and say, I'm going to make a garden right here, you wouldn't just rake off, well, not even rake, you wouldn't just start planting the roses. You wouldn't start planting anything in the soil. You would remove all the pine needles. Then you'd begin to chisel up the ground and you'd find out how many rocks are in there. And you would test the soil and say, is this soil any good? And you might find that there's too much clay in there, so you're going to dig really deep and get rid of that clay because things don't go gr- good in clay. You're going to get rid of that clay. You're going to begin to tear out all these things. You're going to look for the weeds in there and you're going to get rid of them. You're going to absolutely change that ground before you start planting anything good in there. Otherwise, it's going to grow up, the weeds are going to choke it out, or it's going to hit the clay bottom, which is just an inch underneath the soil, and it's going to die. And all of your fruit and all of your labor is going to be wasted. We have to spend time tearing out those negative things, tearing out those things before we plant the good seed in that place. Till up the soil, break up the fallowed ground in our lives. Remove these things and make this soil ready for repentance, ready for the good planting that God wants to do. Just go over a page to Jeremiah 2. In in verse 2, God says, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying this, says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal when you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holiness to the Lord, the first fruits of His increase. All that devour Him will offend. Disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. He says, I remember you. I remember how you loved me. You went after me. God knows how we've sought after Him. He remembers those days when we made those commitments and we lived after them. But His people had walked away from Him. They've walked away... And just going over a few, a few verses, it talks about you've done two things. Verse 13, it says, For My people have committed two evils. He remembered they were His people, how much they loved Him. But He says, they've committed two evils. They have forsaken Me, the fountain of living waters. They've walked away from the God who is living water. They walked away. And what did they do instead? They hewn for themselves cisterns, pots to hold water. They made their own religion. They made their own things in their own experiences. Instead of relying on God for being living water, they says, I'm just going to make a big pot and I'm going to put as much water in here as I can. And the problem is that the big cistern couldn't even hold the water because it was cracked. It was broken. Like all of our attempts to, to replace God. To, to fill our lives with things that make us happy, to give us joy. We're brisk building cisterns and those cisterns are cracked. They can't hold water for very long. They forsook God and they replaced God. That's His cry against the people. We're living in a nation today that it is so easy to forsake God and build our own cisterns. It's amazing. I mean, everyone is just pushing these things on you. I mean, you know, in the middle of the financial crisis, what is the government's response to getting us out of there? Borrow more money. They're teaching us to build cisterns that are broken, that can't hold any water, and we're buying into it. Got a car that's running and reliable and getting you from place A to place B? Turn it in. We'll give you $4,500 so we can get you into debt with a new car. It's a broken cistern system. This nation is teaching it left and right. And we, because we live here, have bought into it. We're replacing God and we're trying to be, we become very materialistic. That's just one of the cisterns that we're doing. We all have cisterns. Drinking, getting drunk is a broken cistern. You know, and and it mimics the church. When you go to the bar, it's like walking up to the altar. The bartender pours you a sermon. And you get filled with the spirits. And by morning, it's leaking out everywhere. As you're bowing down to that porcelain god, it's a cistern. It's broken. Hallelujah. But why do we buy into it? We need to begin to just come back to God and say, I don't want any replacements. I just want you, the living God. I want you. I want to come back to you. We all have the things in our life. That's it. See, this message isn't pointing at one person. You might be in here going, Oh, does he know what I'm doing? No. Isn't this is great about this message for me. I haven't been here long enough to really know how anyone's doing. Because this is a truth of the Word of God. That's right. Amen? Yeah. Good preaching, Pastor. Thank you. This <laughs> is so another thing that we did that, that some of the kings were com- commended for doing, and that was for breaking down the high places, Josiah, Asa, and Hezekiah. If you've read through Chronicles and Kings, sometimes you know, as we were talking with Lu- we were doing last night, she loves these books, but sometimes they just get a little boring. And he became king at the time when he was twenty and five years old, and he reigned for eighteen months, and he did evil inside of the Lord, and uh, <laughs> you know, why do I need to know about that? Because if you read, you'll find things. The high places. You, you've heard about the high places. I can see. Uh, who's ever been confused about the high places? I was. You know why I was confused? Because Solomon went and worshipped at the high place and God was there. Some prophets were anointed at the high places and it was okay. But... They always say the king did this good, but he didn't remove the high places. That confused me. Well, the high places were okay. When did it change? What was it? The high places, when the children of Israel came into, into the land, the Canaanites had been there, and on top of a hill, see, they believed that they wanted to be closer to God, they would build an altar. And the Canaanites would worship to their gods on these altars. And they would worship Baal, or they'd worship the Astropols, and and they would set up on these high places. Well, when Israel came in, they didn't utterly destroy them. They got rid of the other worship, but they left the places. And they would go up themselves to the high places and worship at times. Well, after a while, God said, you must come to Jerusalem, to my holy temple to make sacrifices. And some of the kings and some of the people would say, You don't have to go there. We can worship God up here. It's much closer, much more convenient. And so, yes, you could meet with God because God is sovereign and God wants to meet with you. But you weren't being obedient. You weren't, you were sacrificing, all right, but you weren't being obedient if you went to the high place. And it seems to me that God may have said something that to obey is better than sacrifice. But they weren't obedient to what God had said. Instead, they chose convenience. They chose the things that were easier for them to do. And God wasn't pleased. He was pleased mostly when they utterly destroyed the high places. Because of God's love and His sovereignty for us, He'll meet with us. He'll always love us. He'll never forsake us. Ever. And so sometimes we think we're okay because we know that God is in our life. We get tricked into that moment of going, I've got these things, but God is still there. But I want to tell you this morning that life will be better when you tear down the high places when you begin to say, I'm not going to do things out of convenience anymore. You know, Sunday morning service, is kind of hard to get up that early and go. You know, not out of convenience, but pressing in on being obedient to God. And I know there are people this morning who God has told you to do things, and you're refusing. Be obedient. In your refusal to do what God has told you to do, you'll still experience Him. You just won't experience Him fully the way He wants you to experience Him. <clears throat> Tear down the high places. Repent and let God revive you and begin to see that revival experience. Because if my people, Second Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. God is looking for people to listen, to seek His face. Don't distance yourself from God. Don't distance yourself from those that are calling on God. You can't be out there on your own for very long seeking God. You need to be in fellowship. Press into God. Humble yourself and pray and seek His face. Because sin is going to hinder us sin is going to hinder us every time from experiencing relationship and that sin causes distance in James 4 James 4 verse 8 it says draw near to god draw near to god and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double minded lament mourn and weep these are not scriptures that we hear in the church enough. We hear too often, God wants you to have a better life now. And we live in there and we camp in that. We take Jeremiah 29.11 and we say, yes, He's going to give me a hope and a future, and we stop at that. We need to read 10. And we need to read 13. And we need to read 14. And I'm going to do that right now because God's promise for you is conditional. You know, it's okay to grab the promises of God, but if there's conditions on them, you need to know the conditions. Otherwise, you'll never experience the promise. Is that okay? Because verse 10 of 29 says this, "This Thus says the Lord, After 70 years are completed... I will visit you and perform my good word to you. Here's one of the conditions. It's not going to happen for a while. You can't just claim the promise right now if God says, oh, by the way, it's going to be a few years. Sometimes we want to pray once, twice, three times and we want to be done and then the answer needs to be here right now. God says, no, after 70 years, I'm going to come and visit you. And then He says, and I know the thoughts that I think, Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you future and a hope. Then read 12 more conditions. Then you'll call on me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. There's a condition. We're not going to find God if we're half heartedly seeking. We're going to find Him when we seek Him with all of our heart. Draw near to Him, and He'll draw near to us. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. You know, you might never want me to preach again. But the truth of the Word, this is speaking to me this morning. I'm a sinner that needs to cleanse my hands. I need to lament, weep, and mourn at the times that I've bought into the false Gospels that were no Gospel at all. God wants to prosper me. He wants to do all these things. I know He does. I am not one who says... We're spo- I don't believe in worm theology. I'm nothing but a worm and God wants to just strike me dead. And yeah. I don't believe in that either because that's not the whole Gospel of God either. We're not worthy, but He wants to give us a hope and a future. We need to come and understand how that plays out. And I believe one of the great scriptures... If you and you your life are struggling with, or, or str- or with somebody who only preaches great, great, great blessing, blessing, blessing without any of these conditions, without us drawing into God, and it's always about being with Him, not about doing. We can't do anything but being near Him, being with Him. Read 2 Corinthians 7.1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from filthiness of the flesh perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We do have the promises, so let's cleanse ourselves, draw near to God in holiness, and be with Him, and then we're going to receive these promises. The message of the Bible is, the message of today is is not, are you doing the right things? But it's, are you close? God wants you to be close to Him. And that's, if we can't be close with sin, we need to repent and seek God. I'm going to ask Una to come. If she's still in here, she might not be. She's in there. Ed, come. Just come, please. We're going to spend some time following through in this message. We're going to spend some time in prayer and and I need to say right now, you might be here this morning and you go, none of this applies to me because I've never made a decision for Christ. I just got dragged here. I came just to see what it was all about. This is a great morning for all of us to have life and experience life in God. We're just going to have some time where we, where we get quiet with God. See, revival's going to come once we begin to repent and come back to God in the places that maybe we've left Him. Revival, He wants to awaken us, bring back out of obscurity our life that we had. Not just excitement, because truly when revival happens often, the first part of revival is crying and tears and weeping and mourning. Because we've realized that we've strayed. We've realized that we've hurt God, that we've offended Him. When we sin, we offend God. The other day in studying for this message, I realized that it is so much easier for me to say things, spiritual words like, I repent, than things like, I apologize. I'm sorry, God. Because that's so personal. When you go to apologize to somebody, you know you've offended them. You've hurt them and you're taking responsibility. It's much easier to be spiritual and say, I repent because I can do that almost detached. I've been doing it so long. This morning is a time that we can really say, God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. God, there's things in my life that aren't pleasing to You. Jesus, God, You know us. Search us now. Begin to deal with the things that are hindering our revival, that are hindering our life and our awakening in You, God. God, show us the things that are keeping us separated and distanced from You. Hallelujah, God. surrender all to you all to you means pry down my life it all thy life for the promise of new life and I Surrender all to you, all to you. And I surrender all to you, all to you. Yes, Lord, this morning. God, we, we surrender. God, we want to give You everything. Father, we don't want to keep the high places in our life. God, the pride and the arrogance that says that we can do it our own way. Father, we don't want to worship You conveniently. God, we give to You everything and says, God, we will follow You. God, we desire to draw close to You. Because we want You to draw close to us. Father, this morning we really do desire that Your glory would be manifest in our life. That Your glory would be manifest in this place. God, that Your glory would show forth and go forth from here. And be manifest in this valley, God. That our loved ones, our neighbors, our family, the people that we pass at the stores, God, that they would see Your glory and they would come to You and be revived and find life. God, we desire to be close to You. Father, this week we pray, God, that You'll continue to work on our hearts. God, I thank You that we can truly ask forgiveness and be forgiven right now. But Father, this week I pray that You would continue to do some surgery on us. God, show us the things that You're desiring to have that we might lay down And draw close to you. Begin a process, God, a long term process of reviving us. Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to close with one more song. If we can have the rest of the worship team that's still here come forward. I want to do that last song that we did this morning. Hallelujah. I don't even remember what it was called.